confidence. How many of you really have confidence in the Lord? Now, I want to explain a little something. Everybody believes in God. Everyone who says they're born again believes in God. The difference is, is this, having confidence in God. Having confidence. We can believe without having confidence in him. The confidence is the area in which we trust him to keep his word and his promises. That's the confidence. Whenever children begin to rebel against their parents, it's because they lack confidence that the parents can fulfill their soul of what they desire, what they want. And we find that true to be with Christians also. We fall short of trusting God when we lose confidence that he is able to provide what we have need of or what we think we have need of and we want. And we go to work of trying to provide for ourselves. Oftentimes we get our identity all mixed up and we're not exactly sure of what's going on in our lives and we're looking for it. But oftentimes we miss it based on the very fact that we don't have confidence in him. We don't have confidence in him. If being a Christian is not marked by a life of increasing righteousness, holiness, faithfulness, love, or justice, what remains to differentiate a follower of Christ from other people? If we don't have confidence in our God, what's going to make us any different than any other person out here? It's amazing. I have to applaud the young man over on Exchange Street with his gas station. Because when it comes time for prayer as a Muslim, he's not looking at the money he's losing. He shuts that gas station, closes it, put his sign out, going to prayer. I wonder how many of us as Christians would put our sign out saying, going to prayer when we could be making money. Not understanding it is our God that causes us to prosper. If being a Christian involves no internal transformation, then an external transformation will have to suffice. An external transformation provided by lifestyle brands. Linen 3, Trinity, put the little thing on your wrist. What would Jesus do? We put a cross around our neck. We, we put something on that tries to distinguish us as a Christian. And today, everybody wearing a cross. Whether they believe in it, in it or not. But approaching Christianity as a brand explains why the majority of people who identify themselves as Christians live no differently. We say that we're Christians, but we live no differently than other Americans, yet spend enormous amount of money on Christian products. 
rather than adopting a biblical worldview, they have simply added Jesus fish into the bumper of their consumer identity. You, you, you ever uh, follow a car that have a fish on the back of the bumper there? Identifying them as a Christian or whatever? We put signs out on ourselves. But on the inside, there's nothing that's happened. They have simply added Jesus fish into the bumper of their consumer identity. And like the products they purchase, the branded Christian's identity will always be more about image, this world's image, than substance. Than substance. And what God is interested in is, is the substance of what's on the inside. Not about the outside, but what's on the inside. And what God wants to see in us is a great confidence in him. An overwhelming confidence in him. Because when you're confident in God, you'll do exploits. You'll step out. You'll do amazing things. Because you believe your God. And you trust your God. Confidence gives us the ability to walk uprightly in a crooked world. Confidence gives us the ability to say no to things when we think, boy, this thing will brighten our life. This thing will really make me happy. This thing will really help me alone. This thing will really prosper me. This thing will really satisfy me. And yet we know it's wrong. It gives us the confidence to look at it and say no. No. Because we know that our God is more than able. Our God is more than able. Confidence in Jesus is vital to the Christian lifestyle. Confidence in him for more than just heaven. And a lot of us, I believe, have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ hoping that he's really God and, and that we're going to see heaven. I don't know if we really believe it inwardly. As the white stood here last week and as, as he confessed and said, whatever God's will is, I'm ready to go. Or I'm ready to stay. To be absent from the body, be present with the Lord, I'm just as happy if I'm there or if I'm here. Confidence in God. If you lack confidence in Jesus, you will not be able to wait. To wait on him. To do what he desires to do in your life. It won't be quick enough. It won't be fast enough. And you'll have to run ahead of him. And usually when we run ahead, we mess up. Your lack of confidence will show up in your disappointment in life. Your frustration in life. It will be seen through the dissatisfaction that you have in life. And the lack of contentment and peace that you have in life. And the trouble that constantly somehow invades your life reveals that you lack confidence in God. 
It is the evidence that many will not face that your confidence is only in yourself and not in God. Not in God. Confidence, dictionary. Firm belief, trust, reliance. The fact of being or feeling certain or assured. Self-assured. Belief in one's own ability and self-confidence in one's own power and intellect and strength. And oftentimes it comes with that you'll find these traits, conceited or arrogant or self-sufficient. Conceited, arrogant, a false self-sufficiency. God wants us to be confident in him and him alone. That somehow we begin to practice what James says. Turn with me to James 4, 13 and 15. James chapter 4. And verse 13 says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why do, why you do not even know? Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And that's where we need to come to a place. If it is the Lord's will, in that we need to stop and think for a moment. Have I considered God? In my decision, in my planning, have I thoughtfully considered God? And have I basically said, God, is this your will? God, am I following your plan? Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. If it's the Lord's will. If it's the Lord's will, you will have the confidence to perform it. You will have the confidence to do it. And there will be no guilt complex. There will be no shame. There will be a readiness to perform it. Because God will set you free to perform and to do do we give Jesus careful consideration in everything in our lives? The Lord taught us something, Elaine and I, just about this car. The young man on the parking lot, uh, when we first were looking at the car, he kind of upset Elaine, but it didn't bother me. I figured it was just the Lord speaking. The young man told me, uh, well, you shouldn't be looking at a car that you can't afford. That guy got Elaine's gold, <laughs> you know. And um, her thing was, he don't know what we can afford, <laughs> you know. 
But the thing is, God speaks through strange ways if we'll listen to him. But God was saying, that's not the car. Just interpret it differently. That's not the car. And then we went to another car with the young man. And then we asked him about another car. Oh, he couldn't find that car. Yeah, Elaine was done with him. But then God took us and he found the car right within the price range of which we was praying about and everything. And, and God just blessed. Because the Lord says, be anxious for what? And we teach ourselves to do that. Be anxious for nothing. Wait upon the Lord. And if you wait upon him, he'll direct your path. And he'll guide you. He'll lead you. And he'll give you confidence as you travel. We need to understand that we are to consider God in everything. People who build on this whole premise of confidence in the Lord, everything in your life, you're doing it because you sense and feel you're being directed by God. It makes a huge difference. People who hold fast their confidence and hope are proving daily that they are saved and that they are the children of God designed to do God's purpose and God's will. The word in the dictionary simply means that one is firm in their belief, trusting and reliance. From a biblical sense, pytho is a primary verb to argue or convince somebody of something. The King James is that it agrees or it assures, is having confidence, is persuading a friend to believe in the gospel. The word confident literally means freedom of speech or of action. Freedom of speech or action. Let me bring it home. The one who gives us confidence, whether it be of the flesh or whether it be of God, is God. God says you can have confidence in yourself and you can run off and do your own thing and never ask me anything. You can have confidence in your own power. You can have confidence in your own wealth. You can have confidence in your own ability. You can have confidence and you never have to ask me anything. Go at it. It is the surrendering where godly confidence comes in. When you surrender yourself to God and you begin to ask God, God, is this what you want me to do? God, is this where you're leading me? God, is this the door I am to walk through? God, is this the friend I am to have? God, is this the place I should be employed? God, is this where I should spend my money? God, is this the car I should buy? God, is this the suit that I should get? God, is this that? Or God, is this? 
constantly bringing God into every decision and everything you do in life. Now what happens with that? The more God answers you, the more confidence you what? You have in walking with him. And you're building that confidence that God is on your side and that God's going to take care of you and that God's going to minister to you and that God is going to watch over you. You're building that confidence and that relationship with him. And oftentimes when there's not a relationship being built with God, there's no confidence in God. Yet the mouth says, I believe in God, but there's no confidence in God. I taught my children this one little principle about school. It was your job to go to school and learn. It was my job to handle your problems at school. So whenever you had a problem in school, you brought them to me. And I would go to school, take care of the problem. Because you don't need to deal with the problems with the teachers or fighting or these other things that's taking place. I'll deal with that. You deal with learning. You deal with learning. And that's what God is saying to us in one way. You deal with building the relationship with me, I'll take care of the problems. And in doing that, you build confidence. So my kids have confidence, I could do anything. I could open any doors. I can handle any situation. And a lot of people will ask even now about my kids. They're grown. And they'll still call me and ask my advice. Because that's the confidence that we built in. That they can call. My son just called last week over a decision. And he called and he talked. And we talked for a little while. But it's the confidence that he had. That whole process of building that up. And with God, it's the same thing. We are his children. He's our heavenly father. We can call him up anytime, anytime, day or night, and we can talk with him, and he will speak to us, and that confidence is being built as he directs us, as he guides us, is being built. We're not going to turn to it, but if you went to Numbers 14, you will find Joshua and Caleb. The two spies. And those two spies, they were the only, about the 12 that said, let's go over and let's take the land. Let's go over because God will give it to us. Now, out of the 12, what you're saying to me is only two believe God? No, they all believe God. But only two had confidence in God. Now catch this for a moment. Give me your ear just for a moment. Though all Israel believed in God, those two who had confidence in God had to see their friends and relatives die off for 40 years because they did not have confidence in God. 
though they believed in God, but did not have confidence in God. That God would destroy the enemy if they would have crossed over into the promised land. That God would have fought their battles if they would have went forth. They had to watch a number of their friends perish because of their lack of confidence in God. Now, don't we see that yet today? A number of people who say they believe in Jesus, we are seeing them being destroyed by demonic influence and the attacks of Satan because they believe in God, but they don't have confidence in God. We're seeing their lives just being destroyed. We're seeing their lives just being wasted. All because they don't have confidence that God is able. That God is able to take care of them. God is able to minister to them. God is able to cause them to prosper. prosper. That God is able. It is vital to the Christian to be able to say, God, is this your will? Is this your will? Now, there should be no confidence in our flesh. And that's where the Christian fights. Understand here, when Paul talks about having no confidence in the flesh, Paul's not saying that the flesh is sinful. Because the flesh was created before the fall. The flesh was created before Satan even entered on the scene there in the garden. And when God created and created man, he says, all good. The falter or the evilness part of the flesh is this, is when we put confidence in it. When we put confidence in it. My intellect is not evil. My intellect is not against God but it's when I put confidence in it over God. My money is not evil, but it's when I put confidence in my money over God. My status or my power or whatever it is or my title are not evil or against God, but it's when I put more confidence in that title than I do in God. Catching the picture? Hey. It's where I'm placing my confidence. So go to Philippians 3 with me. Let's figure out what Paul is saying there. Because he's making this statement in 3.3. He simply says, For it is we who are the circumcision... We who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. We put no confidence in the flesh. And the evil really does lie in trusting the flesh instead of the Word of God and rather than the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The essential distinction for the Christian is his glory and boasting in the Lord 
and how the Lord is interacting in his life. That, that we're there and that we're seeing God do a perfect work. And because of the work that he's doing, boy, we're boasting in him. We're sharing about what God has done. And people wonder sometimes when you're talking, what are you talking about what God has done? You did that. No, this is what God has done. This is the door God has opened. This is the way God has had me to go. This is what God did. Not me. Confidence is in the work of Christ in your life. How many of you really believe God is working in your life? You really believe that? See, it's something just to say it. But to have it in here. That God's working in my life. Now, you're the only one who can really, really state that. You know what God is doing in your life. You know what areas God is dealing with you. You know what area God is upset with you. You know what areas God is pleased with you. You know what God is doing in your life. You're the only one. But Paul is using this book with the people because there are those who would come along there in this book, the Jewish individuals who would come and say, put your confidence in circumcision. Put your confidence in the flesh. Put your confidence in something else. Not just Jesus Christ, but in an act, in a ritual, in in, in something else. As Christians, our confidence has to be in one person and one person only, Jesus Christ. I can't even be confident in myself. But it's in Christ and Christ alone. So in 1 6, he comes back and he says, Being confident of this, that he who begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Now catch that. That Christ is going to complete, God is going to complete the work that he has started in your life. Now understand about us, we will sabotage everything God tries to do in our life. God tried to make us holy, we'll do something to show we're unholy. God will purify us, we'll do something to show that we're not clean. We will sabotage the work that God is doing in our lives. Because oftentimes we don't want, and this is what we don't understand, we don't want him to be credited with it. We want to be credited with it. And that's the flesh. That's the flesh. The flesh often wants to say, this is what I've done. This is what I've produced. Hey. And we will do all in our power sometime to sabotage the work that God is doing in our lives. Because it's so hard to turn over confidence, my confidence, to him and have confidence in him. Because oftentimes, just like the child who think that they're grown and men with parents would say, oh, you think you've grown now. And the child is trying to say, I am grown. Watch me. Watch what I do. 
and we take that same attitude with God, watch what I'll do. And God said, go ahead. Because the only thing you're going to do is mess up. Hey, all you're going to do is mess up. And God has a way of waiting why we mess up and why we sabotage the work that he's doing. And then God comes right back and begins to mop up our lives, clean up our lives, and begin that relationship anew. Why? Because his commitment to us is that he is going to continue that work that had started the day I asked Christ into my life. Oftentimes in marriage, when you say I do, you don't know all that you're getting. But over the years, you learn each other. Over the years, you build confidence with each other. And over the years, anybody been married for any length of time will tell you, there have been some bad days, but there's been a lot of good days. And that we build this confidence with each other as we have walked together in life. When you first accept the Lord Jesus Christ, he knows you didn't have a lot of confidence with him. That's why he says he'll continue to work with us until the day of Christ. Because he understands that it's going to be a journey. And on this journey, you're going to learn to have confidence in me. That after 47 years of marriage, Elaine has confidence in me. After 47 years of marriage, I have confidence in her. I've never had to worry about traveling and having to worry about somebody else sneaking in or this going. She never had to worry about me traveling and being with somebody else. Or with we have confidence in one another. And when you've been married for a long time, you have built that confidence with each other. And the longer you walk with Jesus, God is building that confidence. Because you know the work that he does in your life that nobody else could do but him and him alone. And that's where the confidence builder is at. When you surrender to him and he does a work in your life that is amazing, boy, your confidence level goes up in him. And then you start walking a little more, and yet you may get off on the beaten track. He got to wait until you come back. And then he does something else in your life, and that confidence builds up. The confidence builds up to such a point that you never want to be without him. That's the same thing in a marriage. I would never want to be without Elaine. And I believe she feels that she would never want to be without me. But that's the relationship that's been built and the confidence that's been built is because we have journeyed together. And our children, because they have journeyed with us, and we've never exploited them or tried to take advantage of them. 
that they have that confidence that they could just come and ask. And that we'll give them the best advice we have and they don't have to take it. They don't have to do it. But we just give them the best and then they have to decide. When you really have confidence in God, God will give you his best counsel and who has to decide. Yeah. He never forces us. Because if you have confidence in him, you know when he speaks, that's the way to go. That's the way to go. That confidence. God is going to have his way in your life. Now it may take a while. But he's going to have his own way in your life. In Philippians 2.13 he simply says it in this manner. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. You may sabotage it. You may run around trying to break it down. You may do all the things that you desire to do in stopping God from doing what he wants to do in your life. But God's thing is this. He's going to do what he wants to do in your life. The sad part about us sometimes, I ask myself this question. Why did I really have to wait until I became 30-something years old to really know God? Why couldn't that have happened when I was 9 years old or 10 years old or 11 years old? How much further ahead sometimes from our human way of thinking? How much further ahead would I have been if I would have known God in my early teens rather than waiting until 30-something years old, 28, 29, 30 years old? It might think I would have been further ahead. But understand this. God was with me then when I didn't even know he was with me. And God was with you even when you don't think he's with you. And the whole thing is this here. For some it's going to be like Moses. God's not going to be able to use you until you're 80 years old. For some of us, we may not be able to be used by God until we're just about ready to go in the grave. The thing is, the earlier I permit God to use me, and I want to say that again, I permit God to use me. Why? He'll never force himself on me. He'll never make me do it. But it's my yielding to him that I'm ready to do his will. And his purpose is this, is to make me into the image of Christ. And maybe he only has three days of working on me before I die. Maybe I'm like that guy on the cross and Jesus said, this day you'll be in paradise with me. Maybe just a couple hours to work with me. But John says, when I see him, I'll be like him. 
God's going to accomplish his purpose. Whether if he has a long history of working with us or just a few hours, God's going to accomplish his purpose in our hearts that we're going to want to be like Christ. And we're going to do the work that he wants us to do because he's the one working. Isn't it strange you'll see somebody in a process that's in rebellion against God all their life, and you think, boy, that person's just a messed up individual. But then something happens in the latter part of their life, and they can't stop talking about Jesus. They can't do enough for Jesus. It's amazing. Because God is going to work out his purpose in our life no matter what. Be confident of that. If you accept that the Lord Jesus Christ and you're truly saved, you may rebel, you may try to sabotage it, you may tear it up, you may run away from it. God's going to accomplish his will in your life. Be confident of that. And that gives us as parents great hope that as we pray for our children, We're praying to a God and we can be fully, fully persuaded and confident that God's going to work in that child's life. Boy, that's amazing to have that kind of confidence that what I as a parent can't do in my child's life, God is able to do it. God's able to do it. That's confidence in a mighty God, in a great God. And we need to understand confidence is not in the flesh Philippians 1 through 3, and Paul lets us know that. Life has not lost confidence, and we need to understand that in verses 18 and 19. Come to verse 18 and 19 with me. Well, let's go to that Philippians 3, 1 first. I want you to catch this, because I think it's part of our life that we need to incorporate. Then over to verses 18 and 19. In verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs. That's the Jewish people who are trying to say, hey, trust in your flesh. Don't get all caught up with the word of God. Don't get all caught up with this gospel. Don't get all caught. Understand you have certain privileges. You have certain abilities. You have certain talents. Explore those things. No. Build on them, yes, but let God use them. Let God use them. Let God use them. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Paul states it again, put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. Now, understand Paul's list as he gets ready to go through his list of his reasons. It's not saying these things are invalid or that they're not important. Your certificates that you receive or any kind of uh, awards that you receive, any type of diplomas that you receive, any type of graduation from college or master's, or all that's great. But understand... You're much more than that. You're much more than that to God. And God knows that. And what he doesn't want you to do is this. 
to put your confidence in that thing that you think you are when you are far more. You're my child. Put your confidence in our relationship. Put your confidence in me. Not in your degree, not in your intelligence, not in your position, not in your title, not in your riches, but in our relationship. Put your confidence in me. And when you get down in verses 18 and 19, listen to what he says. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Who is he talking to? Christians. About Christians. As Christians, some of us make ourselves the enemy of the cross. Yes, we're saved, but we don't live like we're saved. Yes, we're saved, but we don't talk like we're saved. Yes, we're saved, but the way we live is like the world. We dress like the world. We act like the world. We do more things for the world than what we do for the church. We're so involved with the world, we don't have time for the church. And he says... You become enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach of what? Self. They're stuck on self. It's all about who? All about me. Not about him. And look what he says. Their mind is on earthly things. Where's their mind stuck at? On earthly things. And Paul goes a little bit further in verse 20, and he clarifies some. But our citizenship is in heaven. So where should our mind be? On heavenly things, not on earthly things. And what we need to understand is what Scripture states to us. Everything here is temporal. Everything here is temporal. You know, some of you have heard me tell this story before of a gentleman by the last name is Jones, an insurance agent. And he won every type of an award that an insurance man could win for sales. I mean, he was at the top of his game in that area. And he had a flood in his area. And down in his family room was all his trophies and all his awards and everything he had. And everything was just flooded and just ruined. All his citations, everything that he was proud about what he has accomplished. And he said he was standing in that room kind of feeling sad about what had taken place. And he said the Lord whispered to him, I was going to burn it up anyhow. I was going to burn it up anyhow. Our citizenship is in heaven. But if our minds are stuck here on earth, then our confidence is very low in God. Our confidence is very low in God. And God wants to build that confidence. 
And he tells us why. Look at verse 21. Who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lonely bodies so that they will be like his glorious bodies. Catch this little part that brings everything under his control. That my Jesus is in control of what? Everything. He's in control of everything. He's in control of my finances. He's in control of my prosperity. He's in control of me making my mortgage payment. He's in control of me making my car payment. He's in control of me having a job. He's in control of me being unemployed or employed. He's in control of me as I minister to my children. He's in control of me as I minister to my wife. He's in control of everything I do. How many of you see Jesus in that fashion? In that way. That he's in control of every little detail of your When you take yourself and lay yourself down, did you take you and lay yourself down? It's amazing you just made it to the bed. Sometime Elena asked me, what you groaning about? Boy, she knew what this body was feeling like. And sometimes, boy, it can't even really sit on the bed. It just falls on the bed, you know. One thing she did, because, boy, with my back, the doctor told me, you need a new mattress. So, boy, we went out, and we got a brand new mattress. And it was hard. It was good for me, bad for her. But the thing about that bed, we both had to throw our leg up on it first and then roll up on it, because it's set up so high. And she finally says, she said, we get older, and we ain't going to be able to keep jumping up on this bed. And it was hard for both of us to get into that bed, you know. And finally we went back and we told the lady, we got to exchange mattresses. She said, it's going to cost you $200. Said, yeah, well, we're going to exchange it because we're not going to be able to get in that bed in a couple of years. And, and, and the whole process is this here, though. We'll do things and we forget he's in control of everything. He's in control of it all. He's in control of my mattress. He's in, he, he's in control of the height of the bed that I need. He's in control of me getting in that bed, out of that bed. He's in control of everything. And my confidence is, 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 is such that, yes, God, you are in control of my life. When's the last time you told God that? God, you really are in control of my life, every part of my life, everything I do, every move that I make, every breath that I take, every decision I make, God, you're in control of it. And therefore, God, I want to hear from you because I want to be in agreement with you. I don't want to be going one way and you're going another. I don't, I don't want to find myself fighting against you. I want to be walking with you. See, that's that communication constantly with God, even throughout the day. Not just at night time, just not in the morning time. 
But I'm talking with God all day long, allowing him to direct my path. That's the confidence I have with him. And he'll lead me. Because, see, it's all under his control. Everything about my life is under his control. Then in Philippians 4.15, he said, he'll supply all of my needs. Boy, do I have confidence in that? That he'll meet all my needs. He'll do that. God will meet all of your needs. He'll give you the right mate if you awake. He'll give you the right job if you wait. He'll put you in the right home if you wait. He'll give you the right friends around you if you wait. He'll meet all of your needs, physically and emotionally, if you'll just wait on him and have confidence in him. See, God is never in a hurry. And see, when we were younger, and when I was younger, and some of us used to laugh at the old folks and say, God is always on time. We didn't understand it, but if you keep on living, you're going to understand it. That God's never late. He's always on time in meeting your needs. Because you think you need it when? Right now! But God is never late. He knows when you need it. And he brings it into your life right on time. He does it. He'll meet all your needs. But look at the key to that. According to his riches in Christ Jesus. That's the key. Is he rich in Christ in your life? If he did an inventory of your life about how rich he is in Jesus Christ, would he find only this much or would he find that much? Elaine and I, when we were young, and we used to use a little phrase, I love you a whole bushel full. Do you love Jesus a whole bushel full? A whole gallon full? How much do you really love him? You ever talk to yourself about how much you love him? Do you think you can make it through life without him? Remember what Peter said? Lord, if we were to leave you, who would we go to? No. Do you ever talk to yourself and ask yourself that question? Lord, if I was to walk away from you, where would I go? What would I do? What would I become? Who would see about me? Who would clothe me? Who would feed me? Who would talk to me in the midnight hour? Try to find somebody to talk to late at night. He says, he'll meet all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. You have confidence in that? If you have confidence in that verse, it will change your life. It will change your life. That doesn't mean you won't have to wait a while. That doesn't mean that things won't happen in your timetable, but they will happen in God's timetable. And he'll even teach you how to wait and to wait patiently. And during the waiting period, you'll be at peace with yourself. 
Because you know God cares for you. And that God will provide for you. Why? Because he's promised. And I have confidence in that. That he'll meet every need. Turn to Psalms 73. Psalm 73. Twenty-five and twenty-six. Twenty-five and twenty-six. In Romans eight thirty-one. Is this a picture of you? Is this a picture of me? Whom have I in heaven but you? Remember what. Surely was singing for us. Saw Matthew, saw this one, saw that one, but I want to see who. Is that your cry? Just want to see Jesus. Just want to see Jesus. It's not about the golden streets. It's not about this. It's not about that. It's about one person, Jesus. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire. Boy, that's a growing point, isn't it? What do you desire here upon earth that would make Jesus second place or third place? And Jesus says he's going to be preeminent. He has to be first in your life, never second. He won't take second place. He has to be first. And he says, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. Is that you? Is that me? That we desire nothing else but him? 26. My flesh and my heart may fail. Now here's the confidence. But God is my strength of my heart and my portion for how long? Forever. God is my strength for how long? Forever. And when he says portion, what he's saying is this, God is enough forever. Is God enough for you forever? Don't need anything else but you, Lord. Don't need anything else but you. That's a great confidence in God. When you can say to God, God, life is fulfilling to me with you. Life is fulfilling. Life is overflowing. Because, God, you're more than enough. That's confidence in him. You go home and you tell your wife, there's not another woman on earth that can take your place and see the response. Go home and tell your children that. There's not another child that could bring joy into my life like you do. 
and see the response. And when you say to God, God, you're more than enough, that's an overwhelming confidence that you have in this God, in doing what? Fulfilling your life. Last one, Romans 8, 31. Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, how many of you can say God is for you? And knowing that, what does that do in building your confidence? What does that do in your ability to do and to step out in faith? When you have confidence in God, knowing that God is for you, boy, what does that mean, God is for me? God is my helper. God's my assistant. God's my agent. God's my guide. God is, he's there for who? For me. And understanding this, whatever battle or hardships I go through, they're not mine, they're whose? Yeah. A lot of children need to know that about their parents. That they're there for who? For them. We were watching Oprah Winfrey and, and it was having about these men who were abandoned. And the, I'm talking about men in their later age, uh, 45, 50, 60 years old. These men were abandoned, still having problems because their fathers were not there for them. And many of them were not there for their children. But what does it do in a child's life when they know their father's there for them? And what does it do for us when God says to us, I'm there for you. I'm there. I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm there for you. If God be for us, who can be against us? Who can fight against us if God is for us? For the victory is who? It's ours. Already I have confidence. If God is for me, nothing can be against me. If God is for me, nothing can stop me. If God be for me, I have the victory. If God is for me, I'm an overcomer. If God is for me. But do I have that confidence? That God is for me. See, God wants us to have confidence in Him. In Him alone. Confidence in Him that He's going to keep me. Confidence in Him that I'm in His hands. Confidence in Him that He is performing and doing according to His pleasure and good purpose in my life. Confidence in him, no matter what's going on in my life. Sometimes I even ask myself, God, where are you? And God got to whisper back, I'm right here. 
Because sometimes it don't look like what? That he's there. Sometimes it don't look like that he cares. For that little area of Peter coming out of the boat is continuing to teach me so much. Because, Jesus, because Peter said, Jesus, if you ask me to come out, I'll come out. He does. And for that moment that he takes his eyes off of the Lord, of the storm, and put them on the storm, he asks the Lord to save, and he does. And, and it just brought back that scripture, ask me anything. Ask me to come out the boat. That's why I said in the earlier part of the morning, when you're reading the verses or doing your devotion, and so ask God to enable you to live it out. Don't copy somebody else's Christian life. Develop what? Your own with the Lord. Don't be envious of somebody else's. Get your own with the Lord. Because, see, he wants you, you, you to have confidence in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, that we are your children. We are your sons and your daughters. And we sit at your feet to learn from you. And Lord, we desire, O God, to continue to grow in this confidence in you. Whether we're on our bed of affliction and going through a sickness, our confidence is that you're able to heal us. Whether, Lord, we're seeing tough times and some rough times that we don't understand why they have come just like Job, but Lord, we're going to have confidence in you. And Lord, though we might be put into the lion's den or into the furnace, Lord, of this world, we're going to have confidence in you. Our confidence, O oh God, is in thee and thee alone. And we recognize that we have confidence in the flesh. It's only going to lead us into failure. It's only going to lead us into destruction. It's only going to lead us into rebellion against you. For nothing good will come out of us having confidence in ourselves. But, oh God, to have confidence in you and the work that you're doing in us and the confidence that you're leading us and the confidence, oh God, that we have in obeying you. Lord, it is a blessing. And we pray, Father, that you would minister to each one of us. Build our confidence. All of us, Lord, lack confidence. But Lord, build our confidence. Build my confidence. Yes, Lord, it's a growing experience that we grow in confidence in you. We grow in the confidence in you that there's nothing too hard for you to do. We grow in the confidence that my God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. That we have confidence in you, O oh Lord, that all things are possible with you. We have confidence in you to do yet great and mighty things in our lives. May we, O oh God, yield to you in every area of our lives.
may we release the control to you right now in every area of our lives. May we surrender to you and know that, Lord, you have control of every knob in our life. You have the key to every area of our lives. And you have the right to open the door or close the door. You are the one, O oh God, in whom we look to for everything in our lives. You and you alone.